you want to curb an epidemic before it becomes a pandemic, you can use that first five grams to treat up to a million or protect up to a million people. Welcome to the Leiden Bioscience Park podcast, where we talk about what the organizations in Leiden do to beat COVID. From vaccines to food, we discuss all the different initiatives right here in this podcast. My name is Joep van der Neerenbeemt and with me is Hans Stanke, now retired but a renowned scientist in the field of molecular cell biology at the Leiden University Medical Center. Together, we will interview scientists, entrepreneurs and innovators. We won't stop asking questions until we found out what COVID is exactly, what it does to our bodies, and what our guests are doing to battle this pandemic. Since we started this podcast, a lot has happened in the battle against Corona. The vaccines have been finalized and we're in the middle of a vaccination process throughout Europe. A process that seems to take nearly as much time as the development of the vaccine. Today, we talked to an entrepreneur who could help speed up this process, both today and in the future. Welcome. Mike De Leeuw. Thank you. Mike uh, holds a master's degree from Leiden University in tumor virology and a bachelor's in business administration from Rotterdam School of Management. Uh, he worked at Unilever, Shell and DSM and has taken general management positions in Europe, China, India, in pharma polymers and biomedical drug delivery. In the past 14 years, uh, Mike has started up three companies in localized and sustained drug delivery for cancer, diabetes, CNS, and orthopedics. He at present is the CEO of My Life Technology, and My Life Technology specializes in ceramic micro needle arrays for intradermal vaccine delivery. And what that exactly is, we will discuss today. Mike, we are delighted to have you. Welcome. My pleasure. Thanks. Hey, Mike. Before we get into the specifics of, of what your company is making, um, you're making microneedles. Yeah. What is a microneedle exactly? So what is actually a microneedle uh, array? Microneedle array is a square or a circular flat piece of ceramics, clay, stone, uh, which is approximately one millimeter thin and it has approximately 100 to 121 needles sticking out, which actually touch the skin. And these needles, each needle is approximately half a millimeter long and 0.2 millimeter in diameter. But they all have a very sharp, well-defined tip. And it's this tip that actually penetrates the skin and allows the needle to sink into the skin, like you're putting a warm metal knife into butter. It actually just sinks in. And because of these dimensions, it never touches a nerve and it never touches a blood vessel. And that allows our, our little micro needle arrays to actually be treated as a skin patch. So a simple, normal skin patch, if you cut yourself with, with razoring or you have a little bruise, you put a skin patch on, well, that's exactly the same way we're going to work with these microneedle arrays. And um, yeah, it's ceramics. It's like porcelain, like uh, your cup of tea. Uh, when you break it, you actually look inside, you see this porous structure. And that's what we have as well. 
But then comes uh, comes the key question. Uh, Already, why? Yeah, why, <laughs> why do you and your company focus on uh, on the facts and delivery? Because yeah. well, what we nowadays see, it yeah. speeds up well, it goes well, uh, millions of people are being uh, vaccinated every week and month. So why the yeah. delivery? Well, the first thing, of course, it's it's bewildering how fast this corona vaccine has been developed and with such good results it's it's really baffling uh, but it's only for the first one billion inhabitants of this earth and the rest another six billion is barely vaccinated and may probably not even be vaccinated in the coming two years so in terms of a global epidemic which we call a pandemic uh, we're just scratching the surface and not only that, um, vaccine has always been a tedious process which requires enormous amounts of raw materials and many, many different excipients and parts and things to procure. Uh, I believe the Janssen or the AstraZeneca vaccine, as it is delivered to you in that vial, it contains 180 or 220 different parts, pieces, raw materials, excipients, fluids, stuff, raw materials, which all need to be brought together to assemble into that one little vial. Now, if you think about that, and already uh, the process of developing vaccines was not a very efficient process. It requires a lot of raw materials. You then add the enormous scale that COVID is now requiring for vaccine processing and vaccine uh, development. We're really running into an enormous shortage of raw materials and supply of vaccines. So, so your idea is for the low-income countries, it should be more robust, it should be more simple, it should be more cost-effective. Well, Hans, yeah, for the low and middle income countries, certainly, because uh, any variant which develops in, the, in, in Senegal or in Gambia or in Zimbabwe, for that matter, or Laos or Uruguay, uh, all these, these variants on a virus which are allowed to, to propagate and to spread, they will come back to us. Mm -hmm. And for now, we're safe. And for now, all these variants seem to be effectively treatable with a vaccine or at least prevent serious disease but who knows what's around the corner and and so it's, vaccinating it's... vaccinating at a global scale which all the big ngos really uh, focus on now that is going to be the next challenge not just developing the first vaccine but actually maintaining that development speed and maintaining the rollout of, of vaccines at a global scale and we're not there yet and that's that's where where our company or micro needle technology in general is one of the preferred uh, approaches for global vaccination for the future yeah you're we're talking about micro needles and we're comparing them to normal standardized needles for me one thing i don't understand yet is mm -hmm. in a normal needle there's a, a small vial where the, the vaccine is in and then you, you press the button and, and it goes through the needles. Where, where is this vial in your microneedles? <laughs> Interesting question. Um, well, let's first compare the, the microneedle and the needle, a hypodermic needle it's called. Usually a hypodermic needle goes through the skin and not in the skin. Um, and when it goes through the skin, it actually cuts through the fat, the underlying fat, what we call subcutaneous fat. And then the needle enters into your muscle 
either in your arm or your thigh or your butt, any large piece of, of meat, any large piece of muscle is a target for a hypodermic needle. And what they do then is they inject a volume of 0.1 milliliter to up to a milliliter and even two milliliters for certain vaccines. And they create this cavity inside your muscle. That in itself is a violation of, of the muscle. It, it's damaging the muscle tissue and it causes inflammation. And through this inflammation, not through the vaccine itself, but through the inflammation itself, immune cells actually go to the muscle, but normally they're not there. Mm -hmm. So it's actually very strange that we're injecting such large quantities of vaccine in a piece of tissue, which has nothing to do with immune presentation. Whereas the skin, in contrast to muscle, is actually your first barrier, your first line of defense, and probably the most important together with the, the uh, lining of your lungs and your windpipe uh, to battle external threats, being viruses, bacteria, uh, fungi, and so on, or even pollen for that matter. So this is where your first line of defense is in that very thin layer of skin. And imagine this, that the skin is no more than two millimeters at its, at its thickest. And in many parts, it's between one millimeter, 1.5 millimeter. It's built up of four layers. And it's only that first two layers below the, the outer layer that you see. So the epidermis and the upper dermis, that's where the immune cells reside, which can actually present vaccines. They are the ones, they are, say, you could compare it like scouts. They are the ones that patrol to scout for foreign invaders. And once they find a foreign invader being a virus or a piece of a virus being the vaccine, once they see that, they actually pick it up. They run back to headquarters, which is your lymph node, either in your armpit or the glands in your neck. And there they present it to the rest of the immune population who are actually capable of killing these viruses or bacteria. So, so I see two advantages. Ah. Uh, one is less less vaccine, and, yeah. and and you pointed out very clearly that the skin is a much better way because of this good immune response. What what are the other advantages? Well, yeah, the biggest advantage is, is that based on our research, but a lot of other research uh, in dermal delivery with very thin needles like diabetic pens or or the micro needles as a generation of, of devices. That points out that there's an advantage of three to 20 times more vaccination uh, possible compared to intramuscular, the, the normal injection in the, in the muscle. So you can actually treat with one sugar cube being five grams of vaccine, the active vaccine, you can treat up to one million people. So imagine one year ago when we were, or not we, but our neighbors, Janssen vaccines, and the AstraZeneca's and the Moderna's and, and the BioNTech's, when they were developing their first prototypes, having the first gram or the first five gram, they could have protected up to one million healthcare workers. And like that, that. And that last product that holds for protein, for messenger RNA, because there are different types of vaccines. So it holds for all the, the types of vaccines no, that, that are being used? Well, actually for mRNA, it's not yet known. Okay. Because mRNA... Well, what do you expect? What I expect is um, what you need. Um, well, let me first come back to the other points yeah. that you were asking for. So the first advantage is that you need far less vaccine 
to inoculate much more, many more people. So as a rapid response product. So later on, you you can you can churn out the vials as it's being done right now. But if you want to curb an epidemic before it becomes a pandemic, so when you have an outbreak with a new variant or with a new disease or an Ebola outbreak, which you just need to curb anyway, you can use that first five grams to treat up to a million or protect up to a million people. So that's the first benefit. The second benefit is that because we formulated in, in our ceramic nanopores, so the whole device itself being one millimeter thick with these hundred little needles, the whole thing is approximately 30 to 50% porous. So when you break your China cup, you actually see those pores. But in our case, they're much more defined and much smaller. You can't see them with your bare eye. But that is a sponge. It's a ceramic sponge. So we can load a lot of vaccine actives in these pores. But while you're doing that with the liquid, the liquid itself evaporates tremendously fast because mm -hmm. there's an enormous surface mm -hmm. to volume ratio. So these products become dry in a very fast manner. And if we then add a few natural substances like sugars, it actually dries into a completely inactive uh, coating. Now, so to understand this correctly, now there's this, this small patch where you yeah. put the vaccine on and it dries completely and now it's ready for transportation. Yeah. It's just sealed no. inside no. the patch. And yeah. not, not minus 80 degrees, I suspect. Well, that's that's the big thing because you you got rid of all your water activity, which actually is the culprit in degrading proteins or peptides or even viruses. Um, as you've lost all your water activity, your product is stabilized. Adding a few sugar excipients makes it even more stable. And that allows you to actually transport it at ambient temperatures. That's the second big advantage. And then finally, the third, and I think in the long term, that's going to be the most important advantage. I have to backstep here. It's about needle anxiety. It's about pain-free. It's about not being a needle. So we're constantly using the word microneedle, uh, but one of the pioneers in, in this field, and actually, uh, uh, how to say, a, an example for us, a company from Australia, Vaxis, they never anymore use the word microneedle. They, have, they call it protrusions, <laughs> because needle and needle anxiety is, is a very deep felt, and very deeply ingrained psychological uh, state of mind where up to 30% of adults in the US and the EU actually have a form of needle anxiety, which means they don't want to look at it or they keep postponing whatever needs to be done with the needle or they don't show up. Now that goes even further. If you now look at the HPV vaccination in the Netherlands, up to 40% of the uh, original Dutch people don't show up and up to 80% of immigrants don't show up for a vaccination against HPV. And everybody says, well, everybody's free to decide for themselves. HPV causes cancer and it causes 5% of all new cancer cases in the, in the European Union. You're talking about 850,000 new cases annually worldwide which are caused just by this one virus every year again. And it's all related to sexual activity. So yeah, it's widespread. Yeah. 
Now, people always associate it with cervical cancer, which is something that only women can have, like men only have prostate cancer. But cervical cancer is only has it was identified. Um, the HPV virus can infect any endothelial tissue, any tissue that it comes in contact in sexual activity. So there's a lot of places where you can actually develop a tumor. And you, you can even take this a little further. Uh, yeah. It has not been proven, but there are oncologists that claim that, that a majority of the cancers that, that viruses play a role there. Mm. Not, not the, the dramatic role, but it can be a two hit or a three hit step. Viruses are extremely important. It's not only the HPV right. case, right. also other viruses. Well, yeah, HPV, uh, HIV. Uh, we we uh, we tend to forget uh, the AIDS epidemic. Um, CMV, Epstein-Barr, but that's a very strong point that you're making, Hans. Viruses can actually make a cell uh, vulnerable to other mishaps, and those other mishaps then actually develop into the tumor. But the virus is already destabilizing both the cell that becomes the tumor, but also destabilizes the immune system. So let's go back. Uh, these are, are major uh, important advantages, um, the anxiety, but also the fact that it can be uh, kept at uh, ambient temperature. Yeah. Do, do you foresee in the future that uh, the, the patches, let's call them patches, yeah. that they are simply uh, sold over the counter at the, uh, at, at the drugstore and that an individual could apply them themselves? Uh, bypassing the dot? Well, if it's going to become an over-the-counter product like your aspirin, I, I wonder. Um, but you know, you can take a lot of vaccine before you actually get side effects because of overdosing. And it's probably unheard of. I guess you need, you need a prescription, but you don't need a doctor, you don't need a trained person to actually apply it. This is something that you just slap on your skin with an adhesive tape on top of it, and it's just one, one piece of, of material that you put on your skin. You keep it there for, depending on the vaccine itself, you keep it there for five minutes, half an hour, maybe two hours. Um, and then you take it off and you throw it away. It's, it's non-hazardous, there's no blood, there's no viruses uh, associated with it. So yeah, it, it could become a very convenient product, but that's even more important in rural areas, if you imagine the rural areas of India where currently COVID is on a rampage, nobody actually knows how many millions are dying. It's not hundred thousands, it's millions that are dying there. And uh, to, to transport it into rural India and I have to say to distribute it in a fine network, a fine maze of field workers who just on a little moped drive into the next village and they can actually hand, out, hand it out to the head of the village or, or one of the local uh, social leaders. They can distribute it without any medical interference or medical skill. One thing to clarify, um, it's a dry product, but where does the fluid come from? Because you, you explained it goes through the epidemic, yeah. but uh, uh, you need fluid, otherwise it's not that's being a, that's distributed. That's a very good point, indeed. In the factory or in the hospital or in the pharmacy, the vaccine can be applied to this nanoporous sponge-like structure and the liquid evaporates and that is a dry product. 
Now, once you put it on the skin, it's the other way around. It's actually the fluid that flows in your skin, which we call the interstitial fluid, which penetrates these pores, dissolves the, the vaccine and takes it uh, out of the, uh, the pores back into the skin. Uh, what you have with the interstitial fluid is it's the second biggest stream of, of liquid in your body. So the biggest one is blood. Then you have your skin fluid and then comes the cerebral uh, spine fluid. Um, so there's an enormous flow and enormous activity in your skin of fluids which are streaming up and down, distributing uh, nutrients, taking away uh, waste products and so on, but also having these immune cells um, scouting and patrolling for invaders. And this is, we're using that fluid to actually redissolve the, uh, the vaccine and bring it into the skin. And that's where it actually contacts, is contacted by the immune cells and they take it to headquarters, present it to the killer cells, and then you have your uh, cell um, immunity. Well, this, this sounds nearly too good to be true. So I'm, I'm wondering, where's the catch? Is it, is it very expensive? Is the cost something that's, that's manageable? Or what are we looking at here? Well, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting point about cost. But let's first talk a little bit about the history. I mean, we've been doing hypodermic needles for the last 100 years. Microneedles actually only came into play. The first prototypes, really crude prototypes, were produced 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then the first generation of microneedles was actually industrialized by 3M. And what they did is they took an enormous amount of diabetes needle metal, so these long rods, very thin, and they started cutting them into pieces and then fixing them into a matrix, a square matrix of two by two centimeters. They had all these metal needles, pens, and they would penetrate into skin. It was highly painful, but then they would put a, a syringe distributor on the other side to actually inject large volumes of fluid. Uh, painful, not very effective, but the first way of presenting antigens to the immune system in a different way. And this was actually aimed at cancer. And the second generation was polymeric microneedles, there you actually have two flavors which are now taking the market or are getting onto the market. There's the non-dissolvable polymers, which have a coating of vaccine. So just a thin layer on the outside of the polymer needle. And you have biodissolvable uh, microneedles where the tip of the microneedle contains the vaccine or the drug, if you like, and that dissolves in the skin and mm -hmm. is left behind. Yeah. And then the third generation is what we are doing, working with ceramics. And the big difference with ceramics and the other microneedle systems is that ceramics, once they're produced at 1450 degrees, they are completely inert. They have no leachables, they have no, no uh, dissolving stuff, they have no degrading stuff. They actually do nothing with the skin, they do nothing with the vaccine. Whereas polymeric systems actually have an effect on the vaccine. So in the whole development of microneedles, initially it was quite expensive because to make to find the right combination between a polymer and a vaccine and not to kill the vaccine because of the polymer was a very expensive and a very tedious process. So initially uh, microneedles were um, for very special treatments or very special drugs. 
but the biologics, which are most of the vaccines, are actually not that suitable to be combined with polymers. Mm -hmm. Now, so over the last 20 years, uh, the manufacturing capabilities to actually make these microneedles at these small dimensions, sub-micron diameters and sub-micron definitions and uh, um, how to say, yeah, so the sub-micron levels that we require to, to make a precise point on a needle, that has only become achievable in the last 10 years. And that was first through laser uh, stereolithography, which is the technology which is being used for the chip industry. So it has nothing to do with pharmaceuticals. Mm -hmm. Our technology is coming from the semiconductor industry and it's coming from the ultra separation gas separation industry. That's where these ceramics come from. And these two things are being combined into actually making these micro devices. This was work done in the early 2000, early beginning of the millennium uh, at the University of Twente. Mm -hmm. And this were just two professors from two completely different departments who put their heads together. One was doing stereolithography, Regina Lutke, who's now working in Eindhoven, and the other, Louis Winnepst, was actually the, the ceramics guru and still is. So am I right that your company is not focusing on producing the ceramics? You probably focus on the biologicals and the ceramics are produced somewhere else? No, no. So no, you no. make the ceramics yourself? Actually, yeah. Our company is a enabling technology platform. We, we make the delivery of vaccines easier, better, more distributable, um, cheaper in that sense. Um, so we don't know too much about the vaccine itself. We don't develop a vaccine or its target, but we combine a vaccine company's vaccine molecule with our micro needles for a better delivery or mm -hmm. a better proposition or a new uh, marketing USP, a unique selling proposal that this company needs. For instance, Sanofi Aventus lost in the COVID game, but they have the proteins, they have the peptides, they, uh -huh. they have everything that you need to actually develop a better product. So if they at a certain point decide, well, okay, everybody's gone into the hypodermic needles with mRNA, let's go left field. And, you know, we've, we've got these protein factories, we've got the protein assets, we've got all the development, uh, let's try it with microneedles because we get a better delivery and a better efficiency in, in immune presentation. I would love to see that result with mRNA because uh, what we could read in the newspapers last weekend, uh, uh, people are predicting a, a bright future for the type of mRNA uh, vaccine approaches. Uh, I, I wouldn't say that everything will be mRNA, that's, to, that's a oh. shortcut, okay. but it will take a very dominant position and it will be wonderful if it would work with your technology. Are you planning experiments in that direction? I can't say too much about that, <laughs> but yes, we've been invited uh, very recently after we had our first talk together. Uh, we've been invited by a famous hospital uh, abroad, unfortunately, um, who wants to do a trial with our micro needles and comparing it with other needle systems. And um, yeah, they're using one of the famous mRNA uh, vaccines to do that. Congratulations, very well, nice. Uh, we, we still need to see if, if we can actually do that. But as of 1st of January, we started with three projects in our little company. One was a, a SARS-CoV-2 
antigen, a protein, the receptor binding domain of the spike one protein, which is the most used. And the second project that we're doing is actually with another uh, startup here in, in Leiden, also coming from Twente. This company is called uh, TwenteMed. Mm -hmm. They develop polymeric nanoparticles, which are loaded with mRNA or DNA. Now, the big advantage of their system is that it's unlike Moderna and BioNTech, which are lipids, little fat balls, uh, which are volatile and which are very vulnerable to temperature. These polymeric nanoparticles that they have are not at all volatile at higher temperatures. So they can actually already be transported at ambient temperature. Yeah. If that, if we can combine that with a much more efficient delivery, uh, you've got a winning team. Yeah. Uh, originally, they did develop their mRNAs uh, for cancer vaccines, because we haven't discussed that yet, but uh, you can actually target a vaccine. You can instruct the immune system to revisit the tumors in a body of a patient and actually attack. Because until that time, they were sort of quieted down by the checkpoint inhibition. And um, so the immune system never saw, well, they saw the tumor, but they never had the, the, the signal to go into an attack mode. And uh, by using this vaccine strategy, uh, you can actually set the immune system, reset the immune system to recognize this tumor and, and uh, confront it. But Hans, it's an important thing that you say it would be interesting to see what mRNA can do in combination with microneedles. Yet I have more ethical point about that. Um, if the Modernas and the BioNTechs are really that powerful, together with the companies that that push them, uh, that might actually be more of a problem than a blessing. So okay. yeah, they you know they're very capable of developing the next variant or the next disease. But they're currently already charging 15 to 20 euros per vaccine. And they're thinking of uh, increasing the price up to 30 to 40. Uh, for us, that's not a problem. We, we don't think about, well, what's the big deal here? But if you know that most vaccines in low and middle income countries are actually put there for a total delivery price of between 1 euro 50 mm -hmm. And uh, the, the most expensive that they actually do there is seven euros for the HPV vaccine, then 40 euros is, is murderous. Yes. Yeah, that, I, I agree completely. And that brings us in a, in a very difficult discussion about patents and rights. And, uh, yeah. But that discussion is going on. And, uh, yeah. and, and I, you know, I, uh, I expect that uh, uh, globally we will find a solution for that. You're absolutely right. Um, and, and, and it's also our own interest. Um, we, in our very rich Europe, or in the US, or what have you, uh, we are not safe unless the whole world has been properly vaccinated. That's simply the story. And, and that's, that is yeah. one of the reasons why the, the cost should be kept to a minimum. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I must say, I'm very impressed with this, the, the whole idea that you've posed your, your technology and, and the way it's built up. Um, what is the next step for your company and, and what is holding you back from taking that step? Uh, well, the, the, first, the first thing is that uh, for the past years, we were actually developing in a different direction. We were doing chronic disease management. So uh, working on Alzheimer, on uh, diabetes, something that you needed every day. 
and then having just a simple patch every day on your skin was a, you know was a good idea mm -hmm. um, but uh, drug delivery and pharmacokinetics is a, is a very tricky field and um, doing that through dermal delivery is not so easy to reduce pain like morphine delivery or testosterone delivery that's that's doable with microneedles but to actually manage your your insulin levels and everything that is associated with or an alzheimer process through microneedles that's that's tricky so in 2019 we actually decided to go back where we came from vaccines little did we know in november 2019 when we decided as a company we're going back to our vaccine roots where we had success and let's let's keep it straight and simple little did we know that COVID was coming around the corner now when you develop a technology platform and you also want to develop a new disease application you're, you're combining new with new and the chances of success aren't very big so we're now totally focusing on the technology platform and the result of that these micro needle arrays but to bring it into the clinic to actually make it of use to patients we need vaccine companies as partners either for cancer vaccines or for uh, infectious disease vaccines so the company today has its biggest challenge first improving to these vaccine companies that yeah we're back in the game mm -hmm. we're back on the block mm -hmm. because we were somewhere else in the past few years so we have to catch up with where the whole market went since 2015 when we stopped doing vaccines. That's the first challenge. The second challenge is we produce these microneedle arrays with hundreds, if not thousands per month. But that is nowhere near what you need for, for prophylactic vaccines, especially in the case of COVID. So we have a sort of two-pronged strategy right now. We're working on a rapid response product for to prevent or to curb initial outbreaks so if the Rijksuniversiteit Leiden comes up with a new antigen against the Uruguay variant just as an example and they can produce it at a small scale say up to five grams we in theory could do the first million but then we need to scale up to one million arrays but that's a very valuable proposition because there you actually curb a pandemic. Mm -hmm. What is it worth? I have no idea. Is, is, it, is it one euro per vaccine? Is it a thousand euros per vaccine? What's, what's the price of a doctor or a nurse falling out? So that's one thing. The second thing that we need to then do is scale up our production. And to do that, using this technology from the semiconductor industry and ultra gas separation, we need to bring those expertises into our company and then we need to combine it with patches. So if you think about uh, Mölnlicke or Hansaplast, the normal patches, mm -hmm. these people have much more sophisticated products as well. For instance, for diabetic ulcers or for um, Dorlichwunder, what's the word? Persistent ulcers uh, because of, of uh, if you're bedridden that you, you, know, you get these, these wounds in your skin. They have all these sophisticated products. They might actually be very interested in this patch product mm -hmm. because we're not selling it as needles. We're mm -hmm. selling it as a patch. So for this scaling up, you definitely need uh, the right attitude from the government. You need probably initiative from the European Union yep. and obviously investors. Yep.
Yeah, and all of them are sort of looking at it like, okay, so who's going to move first? Who has actually the biggest, uh, who has the biggest need in this? And um, yeah, last year when the pandemic broke, um, you know, we were just too small to even get noticed, despite the proposition. Mm -hmm. But everything was going so fast and everybody was looking for, uh, how to say, face masks or or who who has another hundred liters of vaccine lying around you know they they weren't looking at innovation yes. they were looking at quick fixes and throwing enormous amounts of money against quick fixes yeah, which so, was logical so the eye was on the, the vaccine not so much the delivery of it uh, yeah, that's that's that until today that is still something innovative or something of the future not today mm -hmm. whereas yeah I, i'm recently having discussions with people in high places in the government but also with the U.S. government, and now I actually have Chinese companies uh, starting to inquire from their own initiative, who actually say, look, uh, can we talk about this? What's your technology? Where are you? What do you need? Uh, and that's a bit strange, huh? Yep. That's a bit strange. Mike, uh, we had a very stimulating discussion, and uh, uh, I think it's a very promising uh, technology. Mm -hmm. And uh, you and I uh, hope that you can uh, can make the second and the third step, and really go to mass production. Uh, we wish you and your colleague uh, lots of success. Yeah. Uh, and you and I like to thank you for being with us today. It was a fascinating story. Thank, thank you. you very much. My my pleasure. My pleasure.